Hello and welcome to Plot Twists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing The Jade Temptress by Jeannie Lin. This was published in 2020 and is number two in the Ping Kong Lee Mystery Series, also known as the Lotus Palette Series. And we did review the first book in this series not that long ago. And you may recall from our uh, closing of that episode that we're rushing to get these read before a new release. It's out soon. So get excited. Stay tuned. <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's just kick it right off with the book jacket. Beauty and treachery abound in the infamous Pinkang Lee, where the exclusive Lotus Palace attracts society's most celebrated courtesans and their scandals. As the most requested hostess at the Lotus Palace, Mingyu can charm any man who seeks her company, except Wu Kaifeng. Wu Kaifeng is a no-nonsense constable who maintains his level head even in the most desperate situations. Having crossed paths with each other in the past, the two have a strained history, but that doesn't stop Mingyu from falling for the secretly sensitive officer. When a powerful official is found dead in a highly suspicious murder, Mingyu and Kai Feng become involved in the dangerous mystery. Amid the chaos, Kai Feng discovers his reluctant yet fierce attraction to Mingyu, but the temptation to give in to her could destroy them both. After all, a forbidden affair is bound to have consequences. Um, I do think the incredibly obvious rhetorical question is more fun in terms of endings than in ellipses. Yes. Yes. You should have been like, the temptation, well, could the temptation to give in to her destroy them both? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, other than that, I have very little to say about this book jacket. Yeah, I, I think the only thing that is kind of missing is Ming Yu's being involved in finding the dead body. Yeah. Like otherwise you could read this jacket and say, well, what's her place in this mystery? But I, I think you're getting a good sense of what you're going to read regardless. Yeah. And I mean, it is a mystery. The mystery is, is really an important element of the book. So I think it makes sense that they don't want to give away what the mystery is, how they solve it. So I think it's, I think it's a good book jacket. Yeah, I agree. Well, as usual, we generated a random number between one and 50 and then wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, that number is 32. I, I went kind of similar to this book jacket. So I must really think it was good. Uh, my 32 word summary is the man you can't charm turns out to be the man you can't resist, probably because you can't charm him. It's only when someone sees through you that you are truly seen. That was deep as shit, Meg. <laughs> really deep, right? <laughs> um, I went in a different direction. Mingyu, infamous courtesan, makes being accused of murder a habit, which keeps her in proximity with the local constable, Kai Fang. You can tell he likes her because he didn't break her fingers. <laughs> so true. I, I mean, kind of love that part. And I also, like, love when he apologized for it later. 
Uh, it's just there. He's so bad at flirting. And I understood that was the joke because she's so good at flirting, but he's just all rough edges. And it was hilarious. I, it's very opposites attract. And I personally was very convinced by it. Yes. I was convinced that they were really into each other. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, the moving on to tropes really quickly. I mean, this is a major, it's a book where there's so much pining. It, yes. And for like several layers of reasons, I think the number one trope here is cop suspect. Uh-huh. Yes. And it's like almost to a fault that he keeps her as a suspect, right? Because he's like, she's she's a suspect. I can't trust myself to treat objectively. Yes. So I don't think she did it, but maybe I'm reading the situation wrong because I really like her. And even beyond his own suspicions, she's caught the interest and the suspicions of other individuals in the police department. And so developing even like for her is a serious danger to his career. So like that is the number one thing under, and she obviously can't ever settle down. She's not supposed to hook up with anyone who isn't paying for it. And she's not supposed to have feelings for anyone. So that, that dynamic is really what runs through the whole book as the main conflict. Yeah. I mean, it's, it has elements of, a forbidden romance yes for sure right it's not I don't know if I would identify this as a forbidden romance but it has those elements there they both have a little too much agency yeah like their circumstances are very narrow but they do have agency within them Mm -hmm. for this to be truly forbidden yeah but it is extremely unlikely Right. You know, she is a celebrated hostess and sex worker, but who has a bit of like social power. Right. And he is pretty powerless. He's he's extremely low level within even the police force of the region. Yes. I I almost called it social class issues, but it's hard to call it that because they're they're at a similar social class. They just can't interact, sort of, right? Yeah, honestly, it, it's, I know exactly what you're saying. I think we we conflate social class and, like, economic opportunity. Yeah. And so they have very similar economic opportunity. They have very different places in society. Yeah. Yes. So it's, we talked about this when we talked about the first book. But one of Jeannie Lynn's strengths is making this, you know, imperial Chinese world feel like an actual, like actual people are living in it and inter- in and working within this system and making us as people who aren't super familiar with it understand how it works. Yes. So. And that definitely came through. Oh, absolutely. I uh, just really good. I almost wrote gender swap next to this trope because I think we more often see it with women, but not exclusively. I can think of other examples with men. 
Um, so he thinks he is so ugly. There's absolutely no way that her attraction to him can be sincere. And so he's wondering what her game is. There is yes. no game. She just wants to fuck his brains out. This, I mean, as I was writing my notes and really asking myself why I like this dynamic, because I think I like this relationship dynamic a lot. And you don't, you see it sometimes, but I don't think you see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I do really like it. I was thinking of The Madness of Miss Gray, actually, mm-hmm. which had some of these elements in there. Where Yeah. Anyway, because she does want something from him. Like, he even calls her on it. He's like, you want something from me. And she's like, of course I want something from you. Right. But that's not all I want out of this relationship. Well, and I think it goes, the point's made in the book pretty clearly, but I've been to other talks professionally and personally. Like, ultimately, all relationships are transactional. Right. Even if what you're giving the other person is a kind word or a listening ear, or if you didn't feel like there was reciprocity, that's a problem. But that doesn't mean it's not, to a degree, a give and take. Right. And she's just very... Like, duh, about that? We'll, we'll have to talk about them in more detail as well. Mm-hmm. Because oh, yeah. I, there are other things at play, I think, in the relationship. <laughs> and then the, the, the other one, it is really funny. The, the other trope that we have is, okay, I'm going to take you to this place where no one will think of to find you. <laughs> well, it's not just no one will think of. It's the no one even knows it exists. And the punchline is, oh, it's my house. I mean, yes, he he did. It is a new house, so nobody knows that he lives there. But there are property records. Yes, it was just very funny. <laughs> it was. Like, even when he said it, I was like, wait a minute. And that's I, because I thought you were smarter than this. <laughs> I have seen that in so many other books. Right. All right, let's talk about the book. I I think part of the reason that I like Jeannie Lynn so much is that I really like her characters. I feel like they're very complex and well-drawn and e- they're different from each other. So like the characters in the first book are not the same as this relationship here. And I'm not just because of their social class or their jobs or their professions, but how they interact and see the world is very different. And they have very distinct voices. And I just really appreciate that in any author. Uh, and I think Jeannie Lynn does it really well. It was superb. The, I, I really felt like I benefited. I'm not saying you could read this as a standalone. You absolutely can't. But I feel like I benefited from my knowledge of the world building that the first book per, like presented. But I saw the world through a whole new lens. Yes. Like, I feel like I understand different parts of Tang Dynasty China from this book than I did from the first book because the characters see the world so differently. Absolutely. I agree with you. And I, I really liked the way she used the previous characters. So Yue Ying and Bai Huang both appear. And I really liked how Ming Yu saw their relationship and how Kai Feng sees their relationship. I, it was just really great. It was not the same as many romance authors who just bring back a, a previous couple and you see that they're happy together yeah this was not 
lip service. No, it was, I'm just so impressed with her entire cast of characters, the world building, the books really do build on each other. It feels mm-hmm. like a series in that way. Yes. Even, even I, the woman who says you can read any book out of order, would not recommend that you start here if you're going for the, uh, uh, the full Lotus Palace experience. Yeah, no. Nope. Th- that would be a mistake. Yes. So should we talk about the characters a little bit more? I just said that they were amazing. Yeah, so she's um, a woman who we discussed a lot in the first book, had been kidnapped as a small child and sold into sex slavery, had within that enslaved status risen to be one of the most celebrated hostesses in the entire city. Mm -hmm. So she's got notoriety and fame, but not freedom. Right. And she's extremely pragmatic, veering towards cynical. Yes. But extremely astute. And and socially gracious. Yes. And in the first book, you saw this from an outside perspective. So you never had her perspective. You, in reading the first book, you would, you saw her being very cold. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the impression that she gave off. Being in her head, you sort of, you start to understand why she is that way. Absolutely. And her, I mean, her entire MO is manipulation. Like, I have to manipulate people to survive. Absolutely. Whether Um, it's mm -hmm. the um, recurring customer who wants to buy her exclusively and she needs to avoid that. Or something scandalous is going on and she needs her name dropped or someone else's name dropped. Like she talks a lot about currency and reputation. And that is absolutely her worldview. Yeah. And I do really like that in this, through this book, she starts out very cynical. She doesn't really become less cynical as the book progresses. I think she does start to see that there's more than just the Lotus Palace and just the Pleasure Quarter through her relationship with Kai Feng. And I really liked that. It wasn't like a huge character shift, but it was like this tiny little opening that I really liked. I think it honestly was the introduction of actual hope. Yeah. Yeah. And. Just that that tiny, that shift in perspective, she makes a choice, you know, more than halfway through the book, she makes a choice. And what I thought was really fascinating about that choice was it did block off a lot of options for her. But once she made that choice, she realized everything I thought was so important before, I can just sort of brush aside. I don't know. I, I just thought it was really interesting and really well done how it was handled. We've talked about this before about how sometimes there's a confrontation that can feel anticlimactic, but it's more because of a character who sees things differently and is now able to handle the situation in a different way. 
Yes. So what they thought was going to be this huge, incredible, like, explosion turns out to, you know, it, it goes out with a with a whimper instead of a bang, right? Yep. Anyway, I I really liked it. So by contrast, Kaifeng is a guy in the city who no one has any sense of his past. He was brought to the city and given employment by his boss at the police department, essentially, to use extremely modern terminology because I'm just not going to remember all the different ways they used words. <laughs> the magistrate, Magistrate Lee. Thank you, Magistrate Lee. Um, and he's extremely detached. Um, he, his childhood was hard and filled with extreme poverty and hardship beyond poverty. Um, and he's kind of a man without a social network by virtue mm-hmm. of the, the events of his younger life and being in a new city and his personality. All of that's kind of a perfect storm. He doesn't have any artifice or yes. charm in contrast with, you know, Ming Yu, who has all of it. Yeah. Um, and they're brought together in this book by this murder. And then they end up sort of in a honeymoon hiding out. This isn't real life. And that phase looks so different than it did in the first book. Mm-hmm. And then once they sort of figure out how to get out of the peril presented by the main mystery, they have to figure out what their relationship dynamic looks like when they're not like shacking up in a love nest. Yeah. That's what it is. So the way I read the book, I did read the book. And I think that Wu Kaifeng was supposed to be uh, neurodivergent. So like on the autism spectrum. Um, So that is how I read him. I wasn't sure, and I'm still not sure. Yeah, so he talks about how he doesn't really know how to handle social interactions. He talks about how he thinks he feels things differently than other people do. So those are, that's what he says. Those are his words. And even towards the end, like his one friend is like, we're friends, right? And he's like, oh, I guess we're friends. Right? Like he hadn't realized that this years long relationship was like a friend relationship. I couldn't tell if those personality traits were driven by neurodivergence or trauma. Because you got Mm -hmm. the sense he grew up extremely isolated. His parents' deaths were extremely traumatic. And then other traumatic things happened to him afterward. Like he doesn't inherently trust people either. That's true. Because, like, everyone he loves dies on him. And he doesn't articulate that in the way certain other heroes and heroines we've read have. But I was sort of, like, chicken or the egg. Is he on the spectrum? And, you know, these hard things were even harder for him to deal with because of whatever neurodivergence he exhibits. Or did he sort of become emotionally isolated by a product of his circumstances? Yeah. and. To an extent, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. But I just, I wasn't sure if there was something like explicit I was missing. I don't think so. I I don't think she, I think she purposely avoided putting anything explicit there so that you could read it the way you wanted to. This is what I loved so much about their relationship is that Mm -hmm. Mingyu's social currency 
is based on social interaction, knowing exactly how to act, react, and read people. And he goes through the world completely oblivious to how he is supposed to act. He probably, he knows that he's probably not supposed to act the way he's acting, but he also doesn't think it's important to place an, an emphasis on making sure that he's not being rude, basically. Right. His attitude is is taking the time to ensure people are comfortable isn't his job, area of interest, and frankly is often counterproductive in his line of work. Well, and let's be honest, it does work for him yeah. in his job, you know, so he's not wrong. Right? Right. No, definitely. But it, it was just also very convincing to me that Mingyu would fall in love with someone who she couldn't bullshit. And who had no interest in bullshit. Exactly. Like, he, he's even like, I, I know you're playing a game. I don't know what the game is. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know how to do it. And she's like, you're right. I am playing a game. But since you don't want to play, we'll drop it. I, I just... I don't know. Uh, this is a this this is a kind of book and a kind of relationship dynamic that I'm really into and I think is really interesting. I agree with you. I think the socially adept, charming woman who falls for the brute in yes. some ways absolutely works for me. The spoiler-free version of this is the resolution here post mystery and the way they work out what their life will look like post the events of the book. I don't believe either of them is going to be happy. <laughs> the characters were really well developed and like, this is a happily ever after they end up together and they end up with a life where you believe they have the opportunity to stay together and be in love. And I think they're both going to be fucking miserable. And that, like, kind of ruined the book for me. Not really. Like, I'm not saying I think it was a bad book or I didn't enjoy reading it. But I think, like, ultimately the, like, oh, hell yeah, I love this dynamic and I, am like, loved this book got taken way down by the ending because I think they're both going to end up fucking miserable. Well, it's very interesting that you, that you say that. I don't think that they're going to be miserable. Maybe I'm choosing to believe that they're not going to be miserable, but I do that a lot in romances, so <laughs> I'm adept at this uh, mental, mm, what's it called? Gymnastics. Mental, mental gymnastics. Mental juggling. <laughs> uh, but what I liked, oh my gosh, I'm not going to tell you exactly how it ended up. But I think it's interesting because I, I do think that Jeannie Lynn does a lot of research and she was like, how can I have these characters end up together? What are they going to be doing? Like, what will their profession be? And so I believe that this is something that they could do, first of all. Like, I believe that this is a plausible answer. And then I just really liked, I loved his gift at the end. I was so into it. And I also love how he was like, well, <laughs> you better be good. I mean, this this um, this business venture that we're doing better work out because otherwise I can't afford what I just bought you. <laughs> and then she's not sure if it's a joke or not. 
like the whole thing. I just, I just loved it. I loved it. So I personally really liked the ending. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, it was not, it didn't work for me. It, it worked really well for me. I was all in. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm used to happily ever after in romance novels also meaning like, and the hard part is over. Yeah. Not necessarily that there will be no more hardship, but that the hardest part yeah, is over. Yeah, and that's, that's certainly not the case here. Yeah, and even the first book followed the, the hardest part is over. It's true. Like, he was super wealthy. She's now kept. Like, there, he, the hard part for them was circumventing the class differences and getting permission to actually become husband and wife. Once that's done, I'm not saying I believe that Bai Wang and Yue Ying are never going to fight or any, like, are never going to have conflict. But I believe they've both overcome the biggest adversity they will face in their relationship. Yeah. I was so interested in seeing their relationship through Mingyu's eyes in this book. Yeah. I was really interested. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well written, really well done. Uh, and just really fascinating because I, I, like you, bought into their happily ever after. Mm-hmm. But Jeannie Lin is not giving you the happy couple were in love and have 20 million babies. She's giving right. you, they're actually still living and interacting like, like the characters that they are. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like there are some, I don't want to, they still are happy, okay? Right. <laughs> I don't want to say that they're not happy together because there are, because they are, but I was fascinated by how that how that relationship was written. I loved it. And there's some of it too is is a product of social norms at the time. Mm-hmm. Like they're living in his family home with with his parents and siblings and you know she's clearly an outsider to that dynamic. It doesn't mean they're not happy, but some of that is like it's not I, I I get the sense from these books because they're phenomenal world building that for them to like strike out on their own and truly get this time of independence as a couple, like it's just not an option. It's not going to happen. No. And at least Kai Feng and Ming Yu got that, you know? I think they're going to end up real sad. Sure. Well, don't worry. I read the next books in the series and they don't. Okay. Okay. I'm not saying tomorrow or next year or three <laughs> years from now, but I think they're both going to be broken by the life they chose to lead. Oh my gosh. I do. I do. Okay. Let's talk about the mystery. We're not going to give it away, but I just want to talk about it in general. Cause there are lots of twists and turns. Yeah. What'd you think? I liked it, but Then again, I am the kind of person who reads a mystery book not expecting to know or even be able to figure out who did it. I really liked the, there were several suspects. And I really liked the ultimate, how it ended up in the end. Yes. There are sort of two bad guys. Yes. And I loved the way that interplayed. Mm -hmm. I did wish I had a better sense of the wider court intrigue. Yeah. Because I think what's interesting here is like, this is obviously Tang Dynasty China and 
in working in all of the four main characters professions, they are like tangentially connected. Because to... they're yeah, because they're in the capital city, and the the so for Mingyu, her clients are like the upper class, and for Kai Feng, he's the one enforcing the laws. Right, and his supervisors are of the elite class, and right. so. And even the first book, obviously, Bai Wang is part of the aristocracy, essentially. And Yue Ying, similar to Mingyu, was working in the pleasure quarter servicing. Um, at least, even if she herself had not worked in brothels that were high class, like she then went and was a maid for her sister and one that was. It's, it's like how if you live in the D.C. area, the federal government, uh, as an employer, is going to have an impact on your life, whether you work for the federal government or not. Right. So I say all of that. The The reasoning behind the ultimate resolution and the motives of the bad guys were super tied up in court politics. Yes. That you only kind of see from the outside because right. no one in the books is actually like in the inner circle to be revealing motives right. and character traits and all of that. And more so in this one than the first one, I felt like that like, was missing. Like, I wanted more of it um, because I feel like, I agree with you, it's not that I want to be able to predict what happens, but I feel like I didn't even know if this felt in character. Right, right. If it was plausible, if it could happen. Right, like, I didn't have, I don't feel like I was invested sure. in the mystery because everything about it with the exception of the finding of the body was so removed from our main characters. Well, and I mean, I think, I think that's, I don't want to call it an issue, but I think that's a side effect of making this a primarily a romance, right? Cause we're invested sure. in Mingyu and Kai Feng. And like, yes, there's this mystery that I, I do think was well-constructed and well done and very interesting. But the fact is, it's not the primary thing that we're reading about. Right. But I feel like in the first book, that was true too. And spoilers for the first book. Like, I didn't feel like the fact that I didn't know the smugglers personally mattered. Yeah. Because it was ultimately about, no, the initiation of the mystery was this smuggling operation. And then characters I did have more emotional investment in, like Mingyu, like the old scholar, were wrapped up in the central part of learning the truth. Yeah. And I felt like this was just one more step removed from that in a way I found a little bit dissatisfying. That said, I definitely prefer emphasizing the romance, so I'm not like going to whine about it too much. Sure. All right. Let's talk about any content warnings. Yeah. Um, so I think the number one content warning for this series is just like prostitution in general. Yeah. And it's, I, th I think the biggest issue, it's not an issue, but I think the biggest thing to note is that we have talked in the past about some novels where sex work is seen as empowering in certain ways. And that just is not a part of this world. Even though Mingyu does have a certain amount of power through her position and her employment, it's not something that she chose. She is literally enslaved to the house where she lives and works. She doesn't own any of her clothes. She doesn't own any of her musical instruments that she uses to, to apply her trade, right? Right. 
So that's just something to note. So I think that's the biggest one. The second one, there are two female characters who I think, in in my opinion, played up a lot of stereotypes in Western culture about older Asian women. Mm -hmm. Like the tiger mother, dragon mother, whatever that narrative is. I'm thinking specifically of the woman Ming Yu calls mom at the brothel. Uh, They're her den mother, yeah. Yeah, her den mother and the wife of the murdered guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're both sort of emotionally cold and distant and you don't know their motives and they're saying they want what's best for you, but in a way that implies a threat. And I just think it's interesting that the only examples of older women we have in these books ascribe so heavily to that stereotype. Well, there's Yue Ying's um, mother-in-law. She's barely a character. She's barely a character. I I do think I do think Mingyu's den mother, as they call it, is a little more complex than just a stereotype, because Mingyu's working with her as this person who, again, she feels she's supposed to feel gratitude towards her, but actually, this person bought her off of the street and raised her to be courtesan i felt her to be more uh of a complex character i didn't i'm not saying i think that's a bad thing like Mm -hmm. i enjoyed both characters it just struck me that not all the female characters clearly we were getting a very different perspective from our heroines but that i don't feel like there's a lot of diversity in the like middle-aged women we've been presented with. Yeah. In terms of their like worldview. But maybe yeah. that's like accurate. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was really interested. I think it's not a bad idea to put this in content warnings, actually. Um, Mingyu is really invested in having her sister, Yue Ying, get pregnant and have a baby. And I thought this was a really interesting part of the book because she goes to the apothecary and she buys this special tea to give to Yue Ying, who can take it and hopefully she'll get pregnant. And um, I'm putting this in here. It doesn't have anything to do with. She's been trying for she's been married for six months and she's not pregnant. So at this point, we wouldn't say that she's infertile. Right. But Ming Yu is really worried about it because the prostitutes she and Wei Ying took for many years a contraception that she's worried is going to affect their future ability to have children. Mm -hmm. And so that's in there as a content warning, but I also thought it was really interesting because on the one hand, there's a stereotype, right? That you want, you want someone to get pregnant after they get married. But for Mingyu, the reason she wants to do that, she wants her sister to get pregnant and have really a son, is to ensure her future and her survival. Right. So it, like, I, I just and her status really, in the family she married into. Right. So I just really thought it was interesting. And she even thinks to herself, like, oh, I wish I wasn't this person who's mm-hmm. telling my sister, like, drink this, you'll get pregnant, you know? Anyway, I... I thought it was really good but I do think it deserves a note as a as a content warning yeah definitely 
All right. Sexiness. Was this book sexy? I thought it, the sex scenes were good. This isn't a sex book. It is not a sex book. That said, in the first book, I don't think there was a single sex scene where we were like, yeah, this is sexy, right? No, no. We were like, oh, God, the trauma. <laughs> right? And in this one, me and you, it doesn't have any hangups about sex, right? No. And in fact, she's very detached in a lot of ways. Like, for, like she's physical pleasure sort of in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say she consents in her work at all. Right. It's just to say, like, she is not in any way traumatized in intimate settings. Right. That said, she's not detached in these sex scenes. No, 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 no. She's just detached in terms of, like, she hasn't internalized anything about sex from her work. Yeah. She's like, this is this is work that I do. It's a transaction. You know, I didn't really choose it, but also it's not the worst thing in the world. And also I'm not like thinking about my Johns in bed with the guy I want to hook up with. Right. No, when she's <laughs> hooking up with Kai Fang, she's like, I want you. I want to know that it's you. I want it. I it's look, it's kind of angsty sex too. Cause she's like, I want to remember you for the rest of my life when I'm with the other guys. Yes. <laughs> like, I want to remember that I chose this. Yes. But she's at no point, like, on the verge of a PTSD breakdown. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and she's the one who initiates in every, every single time. She's the initiator. Because he thinks that she's playing him. I don't care. I loved it. I also loved the kiss. Oh, my God. They have this just, like, it's not, like, a sexy kiss, but it's a very, it's a pining kiss. You do have trope, the he's just been wounded. Are you sure you're up for it, sex, which I enjoyed? Yeah. Like, the, the sex itself was a little tropier here. Yeah. In a way that felt like, oh, good, I, I'm, on, I'm on stable ground. Oh, it was great. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I it. Was, I was really into it. I really liked it. But it, no, it's not a sex book. But when you got a sex scene... It hit the spot. Let's just say it like that, right? There was no sex scene where I had to put the book down and then walk around my apartment just to decompress. <laughs> so huge improvement. Yeah. But I mean, in general, this series is, I think, just really impressive with the level of character development that you get. Oh, absolutely. I'm really enjoying it. Same, and we will absolutely keep going. So definitely recommend this one. Please check it out. And thank you guys so much for listening.